This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. I'm glad that you can make it with us. I'm glad that your participation in the services so far. I know it's been edifying and encouraging to me with the singing, and, and thank you for the prayers, especially the prayers on my behalf. Uh, it's my prayer that the things we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word this morning, and also it'll be useful to you and be beneficial as we all continue our Christian walk together. And for a little while today, I want to talk about the day of Pentecost. Um, before we do that, if you remember last time I spoke, we talked about the Passover. Uh, we talked about the Passover feast all the way back from Leviticus, and, and that was uh, resembling the Exodus when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and they and God had given them this Passover feast to remember. And then if you, you remember how the lesson went on, we saw that Christ is now our Passover. We saw a lot of different connection points and in that in the Passover. So this study is going to kind of coincide with that one a little bit, mainly from a timing standpoint. Um, what we're going to do today is study about the day of Pentecost. And when, when we looked at the Passover... And the time that Christ was crucified, that was a major, major event in world history. It was Christ's crucifixion. It was during the Passover. Now He's our Passover for us. And the day of Pentecost, that's another major event in world history. It's really significant for a lot of different reasons. For us as, as Christians today, there's a lot of significance at the day of Pentecost with what happened, um, what we can learn from the day of Pentecost, and there's a lot of significance with the church. So for a little while today, we're going to look at what the day of Pentecost was, what happened, why it's called the day of Pentecost, um, what happened during that day, and some things that we can learn from, from that day and things that we can apply to our lives as well. So looking back at a little bit of a timeline, we see that the Passover was the crucifixion of Christ that I talked about last time. After Christ was crucified, three days later, He was resurrected. It just so happens that he was resurrected on another feast, which is called the Feast of First Fruits, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. After his resurrection, uh, and the same day of the Feast of the First Fruits, was a 40-day span. So Jesus stayed on earth for 40 days, continued with the apostles and many other people, teaching them and continuing to, to work with them. So there's some people believe that after Jesus' resurrection that he immediately ascended up into heaven, and that's not the case. So Jesus was on earth for a period of 40 days, and he was saw, seen by many witnesses before he was ascended up into heaven. After that, there was another 10-day period before you get to what's called the day of Pentecost, and I'll, I'll show you how we know that timeline and how we break it, break it all down. So the first thing we want to look at is that Jesus was resurrected um, at this Feast of the first fruits, or on the same day. If you look back in Leviticus chapter 23, reading verse 9 through 11, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say to them, When ye come into the land which I give to you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So on the morrow after the Sabbath, the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. For us, that would be Saturday. So that was the Sabbath. The day after the Sabbath, the morrow after the Sabbath, would be on the first day of the week. It would have been on a Sunday. So if you compare that to when we know that Jesus was resurrected in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, the last day of the week, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and, other, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. If you go down to verse 5, it says, And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye. 
For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. So Jesus was resurrected on the day after the Sabbath, also the first day of the week. So when we see that, that back in the Old Testament, when they had the Passover, then the next feast that they had was the Feast of the First Fruits. And we'll look a little bit more at that. And then Jesus was also resurrected on this same day that the Jews would have been celebrating this Feast of the First Fruits. Interesting enough, Paul also called Christ our first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 23. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward that they are Christ at his coming. So here we can see that Christ is the first fruit. So he was our Passover and he was crucified as in the preparation for the Passover, as we talked about last time. He was also raised from the dead on the feast of the first fruits, and Christ is our first fruits as being the, the risen from the dead. So we can see these things that are going on. So after Christ's resurrection, we know that he was uh, on earth for 40 days, because it says that in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, To him also he, talking about Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus was on earth, seen by many, many people, showed them many signs, many things, with infallible proofs that he was resurrected from the dead, and he did that for a period of forty days. So we can see from forty days from his resurrection, until his ascension, he was on earth teaching the people. So we're continuing to build this timeline. So now we get to um, the, the day of Pentecost and how that relates. The day of Pentecost, there's another uh, feast that the Jews would be celebrating at that time. And that feast was called the Feast of Weeks. So now this is the third feast that we're looking at. We have the Feast of the Passover. We have the Feast of First Fruits, And then the third one we're looking at is called the Feast of Weeks. That's in Leviticus chapter 23 again, beginning of verse 15. It says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, also the feast of the first fruits, from that day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths, or seven weeks, shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, you shall number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So this was another offering that they were to offer to the Lord. Um, so this was supposed to be 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits, that, that offering for the First Fruits. So this builds our timeline. So you have the Passover, happened at the Passover, um, and that's when Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected when they were celebrating the Feast of the First Fruits a few days after that. He was on earth for a period of 40 days teaching the people and working with them until he ascended up into heaven to be with God the Father. Then there is another period of 10 days that gets us to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the day that they were celebrating this Feast of Weeks. So when you look at the day of Pentecost, the word Pentecost just simply means 50th day. So Pentecost, when you look at the Greek, that's all it really means is 50th day. So when they say the day of Pentecost, what they were really saying, it was 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits, um, and this was also known as the Feast of Weeks. So the reason why this is significant to understand is because Jews from all these different regions were supposed to come to Jerusalem so that they could celebrate this feast. And we're going to see why here in just a minute. So this feast was called the Feast of Weeks 
50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits. So this is the time going on. This is what the day of Pentecost was. So when we look at that, let's look a little bit more in depth at this Feast of Weeks that they were celebrating at the day of Pentecost. If you go back to Leviticus 23, we're getting in 15. It says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring it out of your habitations, two wave loaves of two tenth dills. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven, and they are the first fruits unto, unto the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams, and shall be a burnt offering for the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made with fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the pre priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits of, for a wave offering before the Lord and the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein, and it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. This is what the Lord told them to do in Leviticus. These are all the different offerings, very detailed instructions of what they were supposed to do during this feast that's known as the Feast of Weeks. We can also see a little bit more detail in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy 16, beginning in verse 9, it says, Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee, begin the number, begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a freewill offering of thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant, thy maidservant, the Levite that was within thy gates, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you, and the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name therein. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondsman in Egypt, and thou shalt observe and to do these statutes. So, you have a few, little bit more details that they were supposed to observe this Feast of Week, and you can see there in verse 12, there was one singular purpose that they were supposed to do this for. And that's so that they can remember that they were slaves in Egypt and that God brought them out of that. They were bond. They were bonded in Egypt. Remember, that's what the Passover was for too. The Passover helped them come out of that bondage of Egypt. And then we see that Christ was a Passover. So to remember that Passover feast was to remember that God had spared the children of Israel from, from that fate. This was so that they can also remember that they were in slavery and that they were in bondage in Egypt, but now that they are free. So this is why they were all in Jerusalem at that time. So a lot of different people, uh, a lot of different Jews from different regions, we'll see that, all the different regions that they were from, were in Jerusalem, they were celebrating this Feast of Weeks, and they were remembering that they were in bondage in Egypt, and now that they are free, God has made them free. So Jesus promised before he ascended that uh, this, the Holy Spirit was going to come to the apostles and continue on, to continue to be with them and to comfort them. We see John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, 
even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be with you. So Jesus promised that after he was gone, that another, the Comforter and the Spirit of truth, also known as the Holy Spirit, was going to come with the apostles and would be with the apostles forever. He reminded them of this in Acts chapter 1 that it was going to be coming soon. So Acts chapter 1, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then in verse 7 it says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jesus is reminding them that someone's coming after me. The Holy Spirit is going to come after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And this Holy Ghost is going to baptize them and give them these powers, that they can use those powers to be witnesses to the entire world, witnesses for Jesus. So this is all just before the day of Pentecost. Remember, this is just before Jesus had ascended into heaven. So then after Jesus ascended to heaven, you have a 10-day window where essentially nothing happened. We don't have anything on record from a spiritual standpoint for the church, for any type of miraculous, nothing, nothing really happened for this 10-day window until you get to the day of Pentecost, which, which was going to be just a few days after. So this spirit came, just as Jesus promised, at the day of Pentecost. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and it began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit did come after Jesus ascended. He baptized them, He filled them, He gave them this power to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit was there now with them. So this was at the day of Pentecost, as it says there in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, many, the Jews, were in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. It was 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits. This is when the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit had not come and had not been with any of the people before this time. So the Holy Spirit came to help the apostles at the day of Pentecost. So a very significant event there. Now when you think about um, looking at the day of Pentecost, we can see that these Jews were from all over different reasons. We can see that in Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now let's look at these nations where they were from. In verse 7 it says, And they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not... Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? So you can see that they were from all these different regions. Now, there's two main things to understand with these verses. Remember, the power that the Holy Spirit gave the apostles 
was to speak in other tongues. This speaking in other tongues was not random babbling. It was a miraculous power that the Holy Spirit gave that all the apostles were from Galilee. They were Galileans. And these people from other regions, they had their own languages. They had their own dialects, just as we have different languages and dialects today. The apostles were able to speak, and these people from all these different regions were able to hear it in their own native tongue. So that was the miraculous power of speaking in tongues back then, was that they could speak and other people could hear it in their own language, not, not a babbling or anything like that. So if you're like me and not very good at geography, I don't know where all these regions are at. So if you look at a map, here's what you can see, all these different people. So you've got Jews from Rome, from Asia, from Pontus, from Media, Crete, Cyrene, all these different people were coming into Jerusalem. And remember, the purpose was to celebrate this Feast of Weeks so that they would remember that they were in bondage in Egypt. Now they're no longer in bondage in Egypt. So you have a lot of different people. I looked at a lot of different sources and trying to find some different stats of roughly how many Jews would, would be there. It's estimated that there's approximately 3 to 5 million Jews living in these different areas at that time. So three to five million Jews in the different areas, that doesn't necessarily mean all of them went to Jerusalem, but a significant portion of them probably did because it was commanded of them to do so. All the way back in Leviticus, it was commanded them to follow after this and do this feast every year so that they could remember it. So one other stat that I looked at um, said it was estimated that approximately 1.4 million Jews would have come from these different regions into Jerusalem at that time. Now, Jerusalem was not a, not a very big city on today's standards. Um, it's it relatively small. But to have 1.4 million people come in, this was a major, major thing happening. And it happened every year. But 1.4 million people were there, and this was the first time ever that the Holy Spirit came to be with apostles and to give them some miraculous powers. So the day, the, the day of Pentecost, the one thing to remember is that this is when the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, came to be with apostles so that the apostles can continue to be witnesses and they could continue to carry on the Lord's work. It's interesting to note that how God has led His people throughout different times of the world. If you think about God from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, He spoke to Adam directly and He told them, from God the Father, this is what I want you to do. That went on for so long where he would speak to the fathers of the household. Later it went on where God would speak to the prophets and he would lead people by directly speaking to their prophets, that God the Father would. Now what we remember is when Jesus came, God had the Father had passed the baton to Jesus and said, now I want you to listen to my son, which is also God. So listen to the son. We see that in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. It says, while he yet spake, this was at the transfiguration, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice came out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. So the father is now telling the people, at this time, I want you to listen to Jesus. Now Jesus is going to be leading you. He's going to be the one directing you and giving you the words that you need. So it started out coming from the father. Then at the time of Christ, God the Father said to listen to Christ as the Son. Now, afterwards, Jesus says, after I'm gone, the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to now lead you, and He's going to be with you forever, and He's going to guide you. 
And that's the time that happened at the day of Pentecost. That's the, the passing of the baton from Jesus to the Holy Spirit, so we can be led from the Holy Spirit. So this is what we see at the day of Pentecost. So it's a, an extremely significant event that we have in world's history. If you continue on seeing what happened at the day of Pentecost, the next thing you're going to see is that Peter began to preach to the people that are around there. Remember that they were speaking in tongues where everybody could hear in their own language. And these people, they didn't understand what was going on. They said, how can we understand in all these different languages? What does this mean? Some people supposed that they, these people were drunk. They couldn't explain it. They couldn't explain what was going on. It was early in the morning, but they've never seen a, a kind of power from people like this. So now we have Peter's sermon. There's a few different things that we're going to learn from Peter's sermon. If you look in Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last day, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter starts off by speaking to these people and say, remember what we learned from the prophets. Remember what we had. Remember the truth that we have from God. And he's speaking and says specifically from the prophet Joel. And he's saying, look at what we learned. God said, this is going to happen. God said, I'm going to pour my spirit upon you and they're going to have these miraculous powers and they're going to see visions and they're going to be able to prophesy. And what Peter's saying is, this is that time. This is a time that Joel spoke of back then. This is happening now. So that's how he spoke. He, he spoke it so that he could show where his authority is coming from. His authority was not anything that he made up. His authority was coming from God. And it was all prophesied from back in Joel that they was going to have this authority that was given to them from the Holy Spirit. So Peter was saying, the Holy Spirit is now with us. The Holy Spirit is leading us. So listen to my words that I'm going to say. That's what Peter was telling them. If you continue on, we can look at verse 22 through 36, where now Jesus turns the conversation to let's talk about Christ. In, in verse 22, it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, who God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known unto me all the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of this patriarch David. But he's both dead 
and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with him an oath that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he himself saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So this is, is a huge chunk of Peter's sermon that he's preaching, and he's teaching these people, Jesus that you saw, you saw the miracles he did, you saw the wonders that he did. It's the same Jesus that ye killed. You're the ones who crucified him. You're the ones who wanted murderers to be left and, and to kill Christ instead. He's the same one that God had raised from the dead. And he raised from the dead, now he's the Lord. And there in verse, 20, in verse 36, that same Jesus that we just talked about, that David prophesied over, the same Jesus that was just with you and you saw it, it's that same Jesus that you killed is both Lord and Christ. So Peter gets pretty bold in his talking here, but it's necessary. These people needed to hear it. They needed to hear that boldness that came from the authority of God. So remember, he already, he already pointed out that what I'm speaking to you, these are the words of God. These are not my words. He already showed them that authority, that it came from the Holy Spirit. Now he shows them that you're the ones who killed Christ. You're the ones who killed the Messiah. You killed the Savior. So Jesus is show, or Peter is showing them this. He talks about the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. He shows them. You killed him. He was buried for three days, but God raised him up. That's the gospel that we have. So now when the people heard this, let's see what their reaction was. In verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I want you to think about their mentality for a second. That they are there right now with for the Feast of Weeks. So remember, the reason why they're there for the Feast of Weeks is to remember their bondage in Egypt and their deliverance out of Egypt. Now Peter just told them, now they've got another form of bondage. That other form of bondage, you just killed your Savior. So think about all these Jews that come to Jerusalem and they're celebrating God's deliverance out of this slavery and now they're being told you're back in slavery. It's just a different form of slavery. Now you're a slave to sin. You're the ones who screwed up. You're the ones who messed up by killing the Savior of the world. So they were pricked in their hearts. And if, if that was you and I sitting there today, I hope we would be one of those as well saying, what do we do? Like, we recognized our mistakes. We know we messed up. Tell me what I can do to be saved. So Peter answers them. So then Peter said unto them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves, from this untoward generation. So, G so Peter told them, yes, you messed up, and God has given you a way out of it. Just as he brought you out of Egypt, and you're remembering that you were in slavery in Egypt, and he brought you out of that, 
God has also given you another second chance that you can come out of this slavery and this bondage. And all you have to do is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll have remission of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that gift of the Holy Ghost is that indwelling that the ghost was going to be with you forever. So this is what Peter told them. This is how they could be forgiven. It reminds me of when, when Peter is doing this, he's also allowing them entry into God's kingdom to be back into the, the fold of God as their children. And it reminds me when Jesus told Peter that I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Peter, or Jesus says, And I also say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give, you, give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. When Peter was talking about this in Acts chapter 2, he's sharing the gospel. He's sharing the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And he's sharing to the people, this is how you have remission of sins. And he's sharing, this is how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's how you enter into the church. Peter used the keys that Jesus gave him at the day of Pentecost by preaching the gospel to the people and helping them have remission of their sins. So this is when he used those keys. He used the same Peter, used the keys the second time for the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. So you can study more on that if you want. Acts chapter 10 is when the gospel went out to the Gentiles. This is the, the time that he used the keys for the first time so that he could open up the doors to the kingdom of heaven. When they heard this, when the people heard what they were supposed to do, in verse 41, it says, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. A couple things on this. There were some that gladly received his word. They gladly received it, and then we can see immediate action that they took that they were going to be baptized right then. Peter said, Repent and be baptized for remission of sins, and they took, took action immediately. Now remember, roughly how many people were in Jerusalem at that time? Roughly 1.4 million is one estimate. It could be a lot more, it could be a lot less. But I'm willing to bet there was way more than 3,000. But still yet, 3,000 heard this word, they were convicted, and they took immediate action. The reality is, sometimes people are just not going to go through with what God has given them the way, the way out, no matter what. And it's an unfortunate reality. But at this time, 3,000 people did obey that. They obeyed and they went in and entered into the kingdom of heaven by being baptized. So when we look at this, the next question, this is what happened at the day of Pentecost, but I want to look at how does all this relate to us today, especially Peter's gospel and his sermon. How does that relate to us Christians today 2,000 years later? Well, there's four main things that we'll look at. Number one, the same gospel that Peter preached is the same gospel that you and I preach today too. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus is giving this great commission. This was after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, before his ascension. He's telling the apostles and he's telling all of us, to go into all the world and to teach them and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what Peter did for the first time at the day of Pentecost, and it's the same gospel message that we share today. It's the same way that, that people can have remission of sins. We talked about how 
that the Lord added them to the church when they were saved, those 3,000 people. The same church that they were added into that day, that's the same church in the body that we have today as well. It's all one church. It's the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 12, it says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So here we can see it's the same church. The church and the body of Christ is interchangeable terms. It's the same thing. And it is the members in that body.